Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everyone for listening and also thank my executive producers, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic. Monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you will find everything that you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is the living legend himself, Jared Murphy. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. I can't. What else can I say? Living legend. You, well, I'm honored to have you. Hey, I'm always honored to be on. I'm so glad that we <coughs> met when we did and we're able to start doing this stuff together. Actually, as much as we're joking around, it's. Uh, I think it's only going to get more fun. I oh, mean, yeah. we're we got so much going on, and there's so much uh, production and uh, research and work coming and. Uh, the the event horizon of uh, some of the short documentaries and stuff that uh, we've barely been able to talk about uh, on the backside is I mean things are getting things are happening. Absolutely, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, the um, you know we have that Grand Canyon thing coming up, which I'm we're going to talk to everybody about. We have other disclosure and information, and there's uh, um, you know Jen Dale and I are you know writing on our next three books three books so just in case everyone's worried three? there's so much info there's so much to unpack in just it's not aliens which is still available via a um, audio version which i am publishing on the member area of not aliens.com um, exclusively currently but there's so much information in that book that and, and it's all i mean you could flop it open Somebody told me recently it's one of the only books they feel like they can flop open and actually get information exclusively on a couple pages that can send them down rabbit holes for whenever. Mm -hmm. And that was really pleasant feedback to hear. But I'm only saying it because we're working on our next uh, unpacking the details of this ancient advanced megalithic past that seems to be buzzing around our heads still. You know, we keep seeing UFOs and they, they're even they're more and more prevalent and people are getting better and better footage and it's and again it's either they're either a lot of anthropologists from other planets and interdimensions or there's a good chance that our ancestors uh leave us in the forest and the deserts uh, just being tribal mm -hmm. it's just i'm just i don't know it's exciting so I'm, what did you think of that nine page document they released i i here's the thing i I didn't think it would be huge. And the reason was, is be, I, I, fortunately for me, you know, as, as you get into this, um, even casually for those listening, you can very quickly develop a circle of friends that are really good at texting, emailing, and calling and connecting you with information that you never thought you'd have before anybody else. 
And I have a friend that used to run um, bills, legislations, paperwork for um, um, the legislature and got very good at, well, they wrote, uh, edited, and managed the actual language within bills for mm-hmm. senates, uh, senators and representatives. So on top of it, um, this person is a huge UFO slash alternative history you know, slash real information truth sort of person. So they had gotten the language. This is important to everyone. And the reason I'm, you know, droning on this is the, and and this is important for those of you who hear about a disclosure in the future. So there's two parts to this, that and being able to go look for yourself. And what it is, is whenever a, a, a bill gets passed, there is specific language and it sounds obvious and commonplace, but it isn't. The language in what was required in the disclosure, what the, what, and yes, you can argue the minimum requirement, like FOIA, you know, freedom of information. The issue with it is whatever you say you want, they will give you exactly what you write. So uh, there's examples of this for those that love to uh, talk about the Vatican Library. The majority of what the Vatican Library is, of course, is papacy documentation, but there's also historical record. But when you, you know, they they qualify who gets to go in. And then on top of it, it's the same thing. You make a request for a volume. And if you miss the volume by a letter or a number or a section or whatever, you get access to the one you requested on that day. And that's it. And that's how FOIA works. You say, you know, I want all the information on ufo in canada i'm just giving you a weird example but will canada the city is there a city named canada is there a country named canada are you referring to the word ufo they can totally twist your request so what happened was is my friend read the legislation of what they had to what they were required to disclose and when you're used to seeing the government dodge and twist and only volunteering uh, what they want to volunteer, it looked like it was going to be a real weak, uh, minimal disclosure. It didn't, it, you could see from the language that they didn't have to release a lot. And, and, and so I was prepared to be disappointed or to be, you know, par for the course. But I think everyone, not, you know, so now that I'm being a, a roller coaster of Debbie Downers and negative Nancy's to, positive Kenny's here's here's where here's the positive when you have um a couple years ago pre you know sci-fi novel we're in the United States government militaries at least two two branches publicly stating you know we, we have UFO programs we've been watching UFOs I mean we we can't not stress enough that that disclosure is so significant it's so important that they acknowledge that, yeah, we don't know what these are. We've been looking at them for 70 years and stay tuned for more. I, I do think that that disclosure is very important because there's an admission. And, and this is the yin and yang of, of the issue. And it, it goes back to what I wrote about originally over almost four years. And what we're continuing to research is how the hell is it that we have a very advanced human-like creature or person flying very, very advanced 
uh, machinery on this planet at this end of the galaxy, at the, the solar system. And this admission by the government contradicts the narrative that universities and the theories of where we come from, uh, it, it contradicts that narrative because it, 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 it involves um, a story and a paradigm that says, yeah, we're the most advanced we've ever were now. And we have these bizarre UFO uh, visits that clearly based on historical record, they probably helped build the pyramids. And, and that, that, that's an insane jump. Or the idea of collective human consciousness developed in the 1960s to explain how everyone simultaneously around the world decided, you know what would be in vogue now? Let's all build pyramids. We literally came up with the 100th monkey theory. Do you remember the 100th monkey theory? Oh, God, this is great. In the, in the 1960s, uh, there was a theory that this is my freshman year of college. Uh, the 100th monkey theory is why do monkeys on Madagascar know how to do things, although having been separated for millions of years or whatever, why is it that the monkeys on Madagascar know how to do things that um, mainland continental African monkeys can do in the sense that they can take, for instance, in one tool, they can take sticks, stick them down ant hills, and then the ants come out on the sticks and then they can just eat ants. At like till their heart's content, right? And the hundredth monkey theory says, and mind you, this entire concept was developed to help explain why are there pyramids on every single continent? Why the same building method? So here it is. Uh, the first monkey doesn't have any idea what to do with anything, but then he picks up a stick or starts eating ants, decides he likes ants. And then uh, another monkey figures out well, you know, there's a stick lane here, and the ants are crawling on the stick, so they pick up and eat the ants off the stick. And then uh, another monkey sees the monkey with the stick, and he's doing it too, and teaches another monkey. And then another monkey finally gets an idea to stick the stick in the hole, and the ants crawl on the stick, and then you pull out the ant stick, and then you have ant cotton candy. And then uh, that teaches another monkey, teaches another monkey. But before long, by the hundredth monkey, the hundredth monkey is born, and just knows what to do with the stick. And no one's taught him. He hasn't seen anyone do it. But it's kind of like how there's toddlers now that are a year and a half, two years old that can walk up to a D, I mean, under two, that can walk up to a DVD player and make it work. <laughs> like that's, we're, we're talking about that's the hundredth monkey theory. And the idea was to explain how collectively could the human race build pyramids uh, from China, you know, to, south america and egypt and europe and again commonly unknown although there's a pyramid project uh there's pyramids in italy france uh again not wasn't supposed to be but they're in russia they're in the united states and and sometimes we say okay there's primitive pyramids but the primitive pyramids are likely uh there are they're not megalithic but they they mimic other structures and we have dolmens and standing stones and cairns or whatever you want to call standing stones. But the reality is it was easier to come up with the idea of collective. It, it's a weird boundary, you know, something as abstract as collective human consciousness was an easier concept. than we missed a chapter of human history. The entire world built cymatic frequency energy, 1000 ton to, you know, one ton, complex uh constructions with cymatic uh not only construction but with uh 
piezoelectric engineered soils and seismic metastructures under buildings that we have yet to uh, excavate and understand. And they did all that in a, in a time frame that based on legends and, and mythologies and a mythos from around the world is pretty clear that there were, in quotes, gods that were living very well. The gods built the Aztec Machu Picchu and everything that the Aztecs or Mayans used, the gods were there first. The Greeks defer to like the Temple of Delphi and again, polygonal construction, all of it the gods built. So there was clearly a society here and we jumped to collective human consciousness as an explanation. And then here we are with, um, which, you know, kind of, kind of, brings us full circle where it's like you have the u.s military saying uh yeah well yeah we've been watching ufos for 70 years and we have no idea who they are and why where they're from okay yet we have a very advanced trigger uh a, a very advanced history that if we trigger an acceptance of that just like the development and explanation of collective human consciousness i'm trying to pull everybody full circle and say hey, uh, it's very likely that you're not looking at space-traveling interdimensional anthropologists. You are looking at ancient advanced humans, which is very much possible if we look at the Klerkstorp spheres that are a couple to three billion years old that are man-made. They are man-made. They're not natural concretions, but then... You know, we look at these reports and we see these uh, creatures and and again, we, we know enough about gene crispers now. We know enough about uh, modif body modification, designer babies. We understand how um, genetic 3D printing could create a human being that could trip out their body. Like right now we do very primitive mods. You know, we do piercings. We split our tongues. We uh, tattoo our eyeballs. I mean, there are some crazy things. We get surgical implants plants to look like lizards or whatever um there there's a million things we do very primitively to modify the human body but in the future like in kurtzwell's singularity is near a body could be optional a body uh, your consciousness is in a collective state around you um and we talked about that with richard you know i know mm -hmm. that this might not post too close to that but you know our let with you know dr richard miller you know um he talked about the Karelian photography. We, we mentioned that about that magnetic aurora around you, which goes into collective human consciousness. That's the reality of this. We're talking about having a new idea, new vision on what we already know, which is very, very, very advanced humans were here. And wouldn't the yin and yang of that also include surviving um, ancient advanced humans that have modified their body, appear alien, not because they want to just hide who they are to us, but because it works better with the technologies that they keep using between frequency and energy. And, you know, that, that, that's just one idea. And this disclosure, I mean, I just described it as kind of a letdown or I expected it to not be much, but how did you feel about it? I thought it was just uh, a bunch of BS. But it, it only, the only good thing that I think that came out of it for me was the uh, 
I think it separated some of the disinformation uh, advocates from some of the real people looking for the truth in the UFO community. Because I think most of the people that are really looking for the truth were like, yeah, this is just a bunch of doublespeak BS from the government. And I think yeah. the disinformants were like, oh, well, this is huge. And it wasn't huge. <laughs> it didn't really even say anything. Because whenever it says something, then it would say the complete opposite somewhere else. Yeah. So in the end, you had nine pages that equals zero. Yep. So, yeah, yep. I mean, I mean, I thought it was just lame. I mean, the government knows that there's UFOs. The government has them in their possession. Um, yeah. What whatever these aliens are, whether they're humans from an ancient society um, or coming from another planet or another dimension. They have had them, they've captured them, they've interrogated them. They have a secret space program. Yeah. And to sit there and say, oh, we don't know what it is, but we're going to investigate it. They're lying right. to the people. You know, I think, I mean, if there's an education in Hollywood or television or what we've chosen to imagine it in our own minds, I think it is relevant to say, uh, is it possible that a lot of different uh, individual top secret programs do? I think they really share info. No, uh, I think that's more than obvious. Uh, do I think that it's like a bunch of feudal J Japanese shogun, you know, warlords that, you know, they each have their own sect and, you know, NSA, CIA, whatever, um, different, um, you know, international organizations, Interpol, the, you know, the Kremlin with the uh, USB or, or oh boy, what are they called? KGB? What, K, not the KGB, the other one. The uh, They have the KGB and then they have that, uh, oh, everybody's probably dying out there who knows the name of them, the FSB, I think. They have another, uh, I think it's FSB. The uh, They have other, you know, super secret, uh, you know, they have, anyway, the point is they have their secret organizations that are, whether they're, uh, you know, spy spy oriented or internal security or what have you i i think that um there's got to be some truth in you have organizations that don't talk to each other and worse uh it, even if they did or even individually as an organization i think that there are individuals that for the sake of power for whatever reason they hoard information i i i talked about that with professors about hoarding like I mentioned a professor that hoarded a Dead Sea Scroll in his own desk for his own amusement for 40 years, and nobody got to look at it till he died because he just had the power to hold on to it. He had an original Dead Sea Scroll. It's just, it's so incredible. But I think that these organizations, multi generationally, over the course of 70 years, if we just look at the time period from World War II on, uh, you could see organizations not uh, sharing or, uh, information within themselves realistically confusing the uh the the flow and the the lineage of and the provenance of all these finds like you said whether it's a dissection inter inter interview uh interrogation uh meeting with eisenhower and the president and what have you we're we're we're, we're making 
vast assumptions that there there is some coherent love and li let live uh, tops. We're, we're assuming that even at the gray state at the highest level that they actually somebody knows everything. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's not true. I'm wondering if it is as, uh, you know, that meme that we were talking about that said, uh, don't ever stack up to uh, evil and uh, bad doers what you can really stack up to human stupidity, which is more frequent and common than intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's true about um, power as far as maybe not. Uh, maybe we can't credit a single secret organization with really knowing what's going on, which which really is just an organization built on its own power structure and grab that we have no eyes on. But, I mean, we're, we're making assumptions that they actually talk or would know and we don't and so we're left with uh you know what what what's the truth of it they we have stories of abductions um too many to know that they're not real uh there are various kinds of abductions there's various kinds of sightings and these people don't whatever they are they don't seem to want to um communicate with us really i mean you know it's not like they're it's not like they're Rick and Morty and showing up in the multiverse and throwing down a ramp and coming out as aliens and saying, you know, hey, you know, we're here and we're aliens. They're just. Well, I have talked to quite a few abductees who have had conversations with their abductee, whatever, whatever it is that's abducting them. But one of the things that, that I think. I would buy into the compartmentalization theory, except for one problem. If a insane podcaster living in the middle of Alabama can find out the truth on his own, anybody should. What? Wait, who? who is this? Me. Wait, you just broke up, I think. Oh, me. Oh, maybe not. All right, so wait, if an insane podcaster can find out... The truth of what's really going on. Uh, I, I mean, anybody should be able to. Yeah, I do. There is something very uneasy, and I think I think we all want to know what's going on, but I do think there's a fear factor with all of it still that involves um, how much of us are really filler. <laughs> you know, are we all individually valuable or really? Like a lot of disaster movies are the, uh, hey, I wish all the millions of screaming, dying people could live, but I hope my main character and his 10 friends, you know, live indefinitely after an aftermath of a cataclysm. I mean, that's the plot of most movies, right? Yeah. And is that is that what the experience is for the organizations and the level that uh, these UFOs are operating at? Are, are the majority of us not relevant? is the question. Hmm. And is that why they don't communicate or connect with us other than to beg and tag us like we're an anthropological, like they're tagging deer, you know? Uh, but, but if you listen, like, I have interviewed um, several people, and during their abduction, they sat down with the abductor. The abductor would show them where they were coming from, what star system, and usually would give them a message to share with people once they return from the abduction, and I've heard well, and I've heard this story 
over and over and over again from, I would say, at least 20 experiencers. And what's the usual message? You guys are screwing up the earth. You're going to kill yeah. yourselves. And if you kill yourselves, it's going to affect things that you are not even aware of that exist. Right. You know, weaponized. Every, I, I just love that they keep digging in the Antarctic and they keep, oh, we found another frozen virus and bacteria. Would you would you stop digging? Seriously? Would you stop reactivating, you know, 100 million year old viruses that haven't killed anything for a long genetic period? Um, that I think that's a unfortunate that. And uh, would you stop shipping discs of here's where we are in the cosmos. Here's our DNA and genetic makeup. So if you want to take us over and enslave us or send a weaponized thing to eat us all up before you even get here to terraform the planet, here you go. I just, I hate that we send stuff like that out. But here's the thing about the, the messages in the, I, again, I'm open to space traveling anthropologists and who are also benevolent and telling us to have good messages and good feel good vibes for the earth and all that. Um, my issue is there is no motivation for a highly advanced human to reveal themselves as being even the, what I think, natural or otherwise, mm -hmm. they are why the majority of us can't cure cancer and aren't like living on a re-amped up frequency energy for some reason. We're not going back to the way we were engineering soil and building cymatic polygonal energy buildings. There's a reason. Now, they might think, well, you know, we really screwed things up. That's why we're not going to tell you to do it. And we're sorry about that. But again, it, it does for, for anyone who hasn't seen Rick and Morty. I'm talking about a particular episode. Um, and again, the more you've read and it doesn't mean you have to. Uh, some people just hate cartoons, but. Rick and Morty is funny on many, many, many levels, and they reference many uh, materials, whether it's movies, uh, books, uh, just nerd concepts. There's so many interesting things about this show. But one of the episodes, Rick has a car battery that is actually a multiverse, and in it is really a world that is creating a power to run his spaceship. So he created a whole multiverse, an infinite universe, within a small box to run his damn car slash spaceship. Makes perfect well, sense. It, what, what was that? That makes perfect sense. Right. And well, it they, they get out of a movie and they're going to start the car and it doesn't work. And of course, Rick's the whole episode is they go in. And, and by the way, this will not ruin it for anyone. It is one of the best Rick and Morty episodes. But Rick goes into this multiverse with Morty, his grandson, and... You know, they're flying, they come out of a volcano and they're on a planet with a metropolis and, you know, there's cities and there's these not human, well, they're human-like creatures and, well, Rick invented an infinite universe and he pushed a planet to develop life and, of course, he's the god on this planet. They remember Rick, they have a Rick day and when they land, he's like, I got to figure out why they're not making power anymore and... You know, they're all going about their lives, you know, having kids and living with families and creating government. But they all got to stomp on these. They call them the Google box and they got to stomp on it in order to make energy. And the 
in quotes, waste energy goes into the volcano that is disposed of safely and able to science around. But really, it's it's going directly to power Rick's spaceship, <laughs> which is <laughs> so they're doing all this work. But then some smarty pants nerd scientist figured out how they could make power without stomping on Google boxes, which the great Rick had brought to them, you know, years earlier in their history. So they think Rick's a god or an alien. And so the punchline is this, and this is what, this doesn't, uh, this is not at all about invalidating anyone's experience that's been abducted. This is about questioning one thing. What is the motivation of advanced ancient humans to reveal that they're advanced ancient humans? Rick very much doesn't want to reveal that you guys are an infinite universe that I created and you could go anywhere you want in it but really you're my car battery he's not going to say that to this planet of creatures so he gets you know those uh little head uh kind of like a hair uh uh just a band that has two wobbly uh antenna on it mm. with a couple eyeballs and he tells morty put this on because we're aliens and so they go down the ramp to the screaming fans because you know, it's making world news that Rick's return, the the god or alien Rick has returned. The creator and giver of Google Box technology is back. Uh, you know, the um, but he has to be an alien, so he's wearing the antenna on his head, and that's unfortunately what we might be getting with, like for sure, we saw an alien. They told us where they came from. And we're screwing up the planet. True fact, we're screwing up the planet. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they're not giving a message that's not true. But why on earth are they? And, and again, pointing out where they're from, there might be something about waves or frequencies that jump started technology. We have to think about the sub messages. What are they when if someone's given a message that says, hey, this person, for instance, said I'm from uh, this alien abducts one person and says, I'm from this portion of the universe. Uh, this is the direction I'm from. And and is it more of a hint of look in that direction, sense in that direction, do the math in that direction? Maybe it's not even about looking in that direction. Maybe it's about the technology you would need in order to look in that direction. What if it's like a, a one software or hard tweak to a new Hubble telescope with that in mind? which leads to a jump in technology that has nothing to do with telescopes, but has to do with like free energy. That, that, that's why, uh, and again, if, if we table all the technology on this planet that is ancient for everyone listening, you know, I said cymatic polygonal walls. So they, they work with earthquakes, they cancel earthquakes. Um, they work with thousand, 2000, 3000 ton stones, but it's not just that they're stones. It's the quartz, it's the keystone cuts, it's stone spheres, it's genetic information, genetic technology, and it's the engineered soils all over the earth, along with other functionalities, uh, not just in living creatures, but the idea of collective human consciousness. All of it adds up to a very, very, very priorly advanced, uh, more complex human race that if it never existed, then we could say, well, linearly, we got to where we are and any advanced technology has to be foreign. But just like Sherlock Holmes, you know, if you can rule everything else out, 
And, and not only that, you don't even have to rule everything else out to say, look, is it interdimensional space traveling aliens or are there surviving remnants? If humans always find a way to survive, why would it only be the low tech ones? Hmm. Why would it only be the cavemen? Why would it only be um, the paradigm shifting now with the nuclear DNA testing with Neanderthal and Denisovan? And what we're finding about the human lineage with this mystery in quotes, 14% of us are uh, a species that aren't Denisovan or Neanderthal, but it's another human that we don't have any eyes on. And now with nuclear sedimentary DNA testing, you know, we can use granules and, and build whole new stories. I mean, just in the last couple months, two new human species have been found one in Israel and uh, one in Siberia again, mm-hmm. two completely new humans. And that's, that's usually a, you know, a century rewrite. Right. And the story of us is already so broken. It's really hard for me to not see with the math that we found all the things we've ever talked about. There's, there's too much, there's too many beyond cell phone level technologies in the dirt that we're staring at you know again in the polygonal constructions down to the engineered soil there's just too many things that not only appear to be beyond our own technology but genetically speaking it points to a group of people that could theoretically even if they were users of the technology like any disaster movie you know make it and -hmm. then you know god forbid you and i had to like if we were stuck with i mean look at the logistics of it how about this world goes to crap and a few of your friends and a few of my friends are the only ones left and we we have an agreement to meet somewhere in the middle right so what if just in what if on the entire upper continent of the u.s you and me and you know 20 30 40 other people end up being the only group left and one we have the uh we have the dangers involved of just uh, surviving till we meet which depending on you know like our distance uh, let's just say it would take us like two three weeks to meet in the middle of something right mm-hmm. and that would be walking or uh you know not car transport like let's say we were reduced to walking or horses or what have you and food water etc but then once we get together we have to establish basic necessities right how soon before we can get to worrying about wi-fi and computers and how soon before we even build again the that this is what really happened a very advanced human race disappeared whether naturally or uh, war or both and the legends of it from the Hindu Vedas on, it, it all shows that there was a group of people and we know that their, sh- their can got kicked. Uh, I caught myself there because like the Mayan, you know, you have large megalithic blocks and then rebuilt with crummy stone. Mm-hmm. The Incas, you have again, Machu Picchu, you know, or Ollanti Tambo or Sacsayhuaman. You have like really primitive rebuilding. Uh, from things that were clearly much older and abandoned much longer ago. And so there's clearly a society that's global that disappears. But the assumption is what? They all died and went away? Because one of the first paradigms we have that we keep 
not breaking. And we'll, I mean, think about it. We've only been talking about this for barely a year and a half now. But the issue is, uh, if you can only imagine primitive loincloth rock bangers, and you're like, well, yeah, you know, the whole world went to crap, and you know, they couldn't, they couldn't make loincloths anymore, and they just had to hunt woolly mammoths, and in between building cymatic polygonal energy machines. I mean, that that story just doesn't make any sense. But a small group of survivors that builds back into a maybe ten kingdoms, or you know, and it might be a very very, very, very a primitive story, but the story of Atlantis. And we are not going to talk about, is there an Atlantis? But is it possible that a global society pre-Mount Toba, pre-74, 75,000 years ago, gets wiped out by a super volcano and or war? And then 12,000 years ago, you know, the final, uh, another, a natural disaster maybe melts what was left of Mount Toba's work and we have the Younger Dryas, this or biblical biblical disaster, and then we have stories of these uh, these Atlantean cities, these ten cities, and and it, again, it might be just be a very great allegory. It might be a great image in people's minds to have created a story with ten cities, and not five or eight or six or seven or forty-two, and it's still a story though, just like. You know, the story of the ant people in the West helping out the indigenous uh, shelter underground and a million others. Are we talking about the last time the surface of the earth was shared uh, with a visual sight of primitive humans or surviving, forced to be primitive uh, survivors that saw cities at more than one, the, the Atlantean or whatever you want to call them, Lumerian uh, there's, um, you know, again, a bunch of other examples, but I hate saying those names for everyone listening because it perpetuates a uh, a paradigm uh, that is a, again, there's a sliver of truth in it. And that truth is you and I would have to spend more than one generation, even if we had in the front of our brain and we're really smart about planning our physical safety, our medical safety, and then if we could get back on, like, what are we going to tackle first? Getting the uh, MRI machine up, the surgical unit, the pharmaceutical production of aspirin. Uh, w- what would be our focus if our entire global society had collapsed? We no longer have links to our satellites. So in this case, like the Black Knight satellite and stuff like that. What would we start with? And And again, if we're sharing the planet with tribes that, you know, they haven't left bow technology, spear technology, but if they were able to survive in better quantity, again, what kind of security do we need and have within our city walls and structures to protect us from an even more primitive group of humans that may just be offended by the sight of us or scared or um, we don't agree with their religion, fill in the blank. But would it make sense then to have a very advanced human society publicly available to trade or be known of. And that's what Solon is talking about with Plato is there was a society that's known of that was very advanced and they lived in multiple cities and they lived within proximity, which explains a redheaded, red bearded dude called Veracocha teaching South and Central Americans how to, uh, um, 
grain and farming technology and again a red-headed red-bearded dude with a man satchel guy with a satchel travels the earth in a million different you know the the satchel images that are you know the satchel oh, the, the satchel images that are all over the earth of, of a guy or a god carrying a bag or you know teaching people how to do things again that they it was like early modern peace corps right so at some point after 9000 years ago that society may have reachieved for everyone out there it's just they may have reachieved that technology to the point where they were so disparagingly different than the locals and there must have been some reason to not based on this is what i'm afraid of i'm afraid that whatever we whatever caused us to fail as a global society there's the reason they continued to stay separate from us and never give us back or help us re-reach the same level of technology. There's a reason we've been left to our own devices, and I don't think it's automatically a good one or one that was of benevolence. I think it may have been uh, they wanted to ensure that if it was a man-made war or disaster between the planet, I think that these people figured that, well, we're going to, our group is going to maintain where we're at and we're just going to have to see if this experiment in humanity can go in a different direction than us, positive or negative. Just we're going to go our way. They're going to go their way. And they just kept retreating to where suddenly your last echoing remnant is this legends of Atlantis and, and, but in our very periphery, you know, we have um, um, uh, Wallace uh, writing that book about UFOs in the Bible and sightings of advanced technology since uh, the Roman battle that they mentioned that a silver object fell between two armies that were going to battle. And they decided maybe today's like the gods are angry. We're not going to fight today. Um, it's pretty clear that we could trace back UFO sightings and 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 eyewitness accounts by thousands of human beings uh, through the Bible and other historical accounts that would pretty much date back to the time that Solon's discussing of these, in quotes, Atlanteans that were brought up from Egypt. So where do we tie it together today if not through the United States government saying, you know, there's uh, people and things on this planet. We don't know what they are. And that's the one truth I think we should really hold on to. It's like if you don't really know, and either way, if you're willing to say there's UFOs, uh, you're not saying they're from somewhere else. They're not saying that they're from, you know, someplace else in the galaxy. They're just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm weird it's 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 weird and it's and again if we had no if we had no technology if we had nothing to look at in the ground that didn't show extreme levels of technology i could say yeah all these ufos have to be from somewhere else mm -hmm. it's just it's hard to come up with that when there is just too much to say that any one of these situations i just kind of mentally went over could be uh, a driving factor in these uh, 
uh, the, in the technology yeah. of these craft, it, it very much could be local. Uh, and it could be. And it's even in some of the history, like in the, in the Hopi epoch, you know, was, there's like four, four or like the fourth one now. And the other, the other three got pretty much wiped out, but each time like a few survived and started over. So yeah, and, so 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 it, I mean, why would the government hide that if it's documented in Hopi literature? If it's documented in Vedic literature, it's even in in, in the Judaic Christian Muslim literature. Absolutely, it's uh, there's no way that everybody's lying or wrong. There's no way. Can't it's not possible that. It's uh, just random um, foreign galactic. Hey, look! Here's a here's a tour guide to this end of the galaxy. You should stop on this little planet with these cute monkeys. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just. Ooh, look at them with nuclear power. Mm -hmm. I don't. And 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 that's the issue is that if you can, and, and again, so there's we have an assumption that nature and genetics is something that's natural. We don't look at it as the most advanced form of machinery. We're programming memory circuits now with RNA, you know, DNA tech, DNA tech is programming genetic uh, memory cells. Oh, sure. And, and what I'm, you know, or, or, organic living technology is going to be way more advanced than mechanical technology. And plus, it will be able to repair itself. Exactly. So are we really looking at self-replicating machines? Is that what this is? Nature itself is a giant, autonomous, self-replicating uh, machine. I mean, and, and on one hand, we, we primitively understand it conceptually in our, our mind space puts us into the matrix. You know, we, we think of it as ones and zeros. We're, we're not understanding that a tree and a bush and a shrub and a, and a bunch of insects and swarms are, uh, it's an entire planet that's really in safe mode and that the organic living uh, cellular systems are really just advanced machinery. Well, again, when I say that, it's easy to conjure uh, a primitive 1930s, 20s, 40s robot with cogs and wheels mm -hmm. and and not um, explaining that the very cellular level electrical switching going on between cells is, is those ones and zeros. It, it is a beyond quantum computer uh, running. And that is terrifying probably to think of that this cellular body that we're in is uh, connected to that system. And, the questions again one of the many questions is like who are we where did we come from uh what's our spiritual existence and uh it it i'm not saying that we're gods but one of the assumptions is was the planet shaped we're we're part of the same genome we're part of the same natural we're calling it a natural world that we're a part of you know we live eat mm -hmm. breathe die and all that but it's a system uh, that appears to have legends of immortality where you know one of the early one of the earliest things I ever talked about when I started doing interviews was uh, the idea that a planetary frequency energy machines 
uh, like the pyramid system. And we look at all these big boxes like the Osirion and what if those were for cellular revamp, you know, um, uh, retuning of out of place, uh, whether you had cancer or were partially killed. What if reanimating a human being was literally something done in these uh, chambers? And when the system shut down, whether simultaneously or slowly, as people were tried to be reanimated, you know, the first thing was is people were fridged and stored. And then eventually it came down to uh, turning people into mummies as just a practice in remembering the methodology of uh, you got to store the body because you're you're 800 millionth in line to use the regeneration chamber and then politicians and and uh, who knows what the hierarchy would have been but what if you weren't going to get to use that chamber if ever for a thousand years meanwhile other people are dying and other tragedies are happening and the machines are still shutting down and we're left with a uh, post younger dryas society that doesn't know anything about the technology of the giant Osirian um, um, boxes, containers, uh, the ones in the Great Pyramid. And they're just left with the concept that, well, you prepare a body and it floats off into the afterlife. And the, the ability to even conceptualize what the technology was for is gone, but the, the tradition lives on. That was one of the things I talked about early on was why those boxes were there and the idea that we're within a system that is redundant, that has, you know, collected human memory and backup, that those RNA switches and, and memory uh, codings that we could do, uh, that they're um, uh, essentially stored within living creatures, descendants, other people around you, uh, your own magnetic aurora, that Karelian, the Karelian photography is just shooting a photo Depend, and not all Karelian photography is equal, but the one that's really showing the magnetic aurora that's around you, uh, is that the space that really is inclusively all of you, in, the, in quotes, spiritually you, that your memory and your, your total collective uh, essence and including your, your experiences and memories and feelings are within a, a, a non-physical aurora in and around and through your body. And that, that it becomes a more complex world when you start, you know, throwing in these pieces. And again, looking at this old dead technology that's laying around, you can't, you can't look at this old stuff anymore and go, well, you can't make an assumption that, well, if it's not a, if it's not a tomb, then it has to be a high tech energy machine. That's not at all the point. It, it's part of it, but it's, it's recognizing that we are looking at old technology, that it's not a blinky board. It's a, you know, the, the, I never thought I'd be using the blinky board expression so much, but, you know, just because you're pounding on it and getting a reaction for religious or traditional purposes, if somebody walks up and, and finally sees that you're banging on a 747 control panel, that's kind of what we're looking at with these giant boxes and polygonal constructions and, and these genetic uh, abilities, second sight, uh, the men who stare at goats, which in reality were dogs and, uh, the remote viewing that we mystify the technologies of the blinky board, which in reality is a very scientific and um, functional machine that we created, that we also managed. And trees, like I was getting to earlier, 
are just running amok. You know, yeah, they grow up and they become big trees. But what if they were more intentional in the direction that they would shade or shape themselves? Uh, what if, you know, the bacterial networks and the fungal networks, which are now determined to be larger than Pando, the living tree entity that's thousands, tens of thousands of trees. It's a single living organism. That was the biggest organism on Earth was this giant forest of a single tree that has it looks like a bunch of trees but it's really a single forest uh it's a single entity and it's called pando i write about it in it's not aliens but since then there are fungal networks and bacterial networks that are larger and are those just now random you know bios moded machine systems that were once part of a an intentional engineered soil that was connecting buildings and people and these living entities because like the secret life of trees by peter Wolholan and um, i'm blanking on dr susan's last name who's doing the studies about the connectivity of interspecies of trees mm -hmm. and how they work together on neural networks on the ground and through um, uh, chemicals in the air between the trees that are above ground and then plants and their abilities to, to talk and and scream basically plants scream and uh talk through sound waves underground and those networks are they just completely random or i mean like yeah uh, nature came up with this uh, species and this species developed uh randomly to talk to this species and it just adapted it just you know it's just this random adaptation and and the reason that's important is because the system is so damn vast that we have to process it, I think, at 10 to 15% consciousness. I think we look at this whole thing, well, there's a lot of neat, weird things, but to look at it as an entire system that was once functional as a single entity, uh, not a single consciousness for everybody worried about being part of the Borg, you know, but is it a collective system that's just, you know, you know, just a wire, just completely out of sorts. Is it just unbalanced? And, uh, you know, now we just get random tree. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I have no doubt that all, all the, you know, probably what we perceive as nature is definitely some type of technology. I always, sometimes I even wonder, like, you know, like, like, for example, like you and I, we live in houses that, that are we built, you know, they're built out of wood. Wouldn't it make more sense to grow a house? Oh my gosh, you were dead on. You know, if, if you could grow a house and think about it, the house could grow with you over time. So the house could automatically adapt to your needs. You wouldn't have to add on because it would just automatically start growing in addition. It, it, it would just know what to do. 100%. Um, I, I, I've actually talked about that because that's that's if you could tell a tree to grow in a particular fashion, I mean, why do you need to have a dead house? Why do you need to have a house that's um, how it relates to our brain? Okay, so for binaural beats, you know, doing um, brain entrainment through your different brain waves as you sleep or wake up or you know, we have these apps now that when you're wearing headphones or if you just want to run these bineural beats, um, 
you can clearly change your brain entrainment for some people that means uh redu you know the practical primitive i okay it's not primitive but it's the, what i'm going to relate to it makes it sound primitive so for now it's uh you have anxiety or depression or concentration issues or you just want to be kind of in a zenny zone there's different ways to use these uh, brain entrainment apps to have a pattern going on that your brain waves attuned to mm -hmm. uh, studies have been done that say when people make eye contact their brains entrained uh, in a dialogue like we were just hanging out at a party having a conversation there's actual neural connections that are starting to beat and function uh, simultaneously and then um, you know not that far out there is you know you'll meet a couple that's been together for years and you can see early pictures of them 40 years ago before they you know 40 years later and you're like well they're both that's a cute couple but you look at them currently after 40 years of marriage and you know the 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 religious twist on it or the uh ceremonial twist is always you know the two that become one uh, what if in reality they really did because you see these couples and they're like, isn't it odd? They kind of look like each other or they look like their pets. What if there isn't a, a natural um, brain entrainment that causes that those cellular systems to become complementary in a way that does cause physiological change because the two actually literally did used to become one. I mean, just throwing that out there yeah. as a nightmare concept but how it would relate to trees and buildings and engineered soil is that if you're connected to a soil that when you think when i say piezoelectric you know you're talking about hey uh well you know you got to get electricity to charge my cell phone or turn on my tv or run my car now uh, no what if what if it's literally the binaural beats in the earth itself and the communication or what if the brain entrainment of your companion animal was being subconsciously communicated to you uh, through your selection of plants uh, between pollen smells and the plants vibrational energies themselves companion animals dogs cats or gosh knows what else and your connection with the earth itself that you could be delivering to and from a entrainment that not just is about dealing with depression, anxiety, relaxing, getting ready for bed, uh, getting ready for the morning. It could be part of that connectivity that was necessary for you to have a greater, more in tune uh, experience of life. You know, just for the funsies of it or for a greater awareness and connectivity with it, you could choose maybe to plug yourself further in or further out of the entire system, including other people. Uh, that would be a more logical, I think, step. Um, but that's also, you know, could be a great novel. Absolutely. Also, you know, even if we're like, like, you know, how I like, like recently, like this week, you know, there's been like these billionaires going sort of into space, not, not exactly, but they're calling it space, <laughs> you know, with rockets and primitive stuff. But, but if we're really going to do space travel, 
this is going to have to be in something organic. Yeah, which, you know, there's Dan Simmons for Hyperion for you. You know, that whole, the living tree, you know, the, the tree ship, you know, a living tree. You got to wonder, like he said, the shielding required to get people um, into space and safely and not radiated to death. So there's some complexities here that um, got to make you wonder about what's really realistic. And the Schumann resonance, uh, you know, the actual frequency that our cells are functioning at, uh, how long and how realistic is it to really be in space before you melt? Not to be dark. <laughs> right. And, that's, why, that's why we would have to create something organic that's going to, you know, make the travel hospital to a human. Wanna, what would you want to fly around in? In space? Yeah, I mean, if it was like a tree or like a lava ship or, I mean, what would be the... A mountain. That'd be cool. Yeah, like, like inside a mountain, like with caves and all kinds You're, of cool stuff. In fact, really in fact, I would fly around in the Antarctica base. I would use that. Just it has bioluminescence in it. That's true. You don't need lighting if you just have living bacteria that work as your lights. Mm -hmm. What um, this might be a little dated for everyone, but the early sci-fi uh, fantasy crawl. Remember crawl? Mm. K R U L L crawl. It was a 1983. You know, he had the he had the dagger. Uh, you know, he held it in the middle, and it was like a Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you remember the bad guys flew around in a giant mountain? <laughs> yeah. So, you might have been rocking pretty hard when Crawl was out. <laughs> I was probably smoking dust. Yeah, but you were like, you were literally already flying in a mountain of your mind. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, yeah, that was quite the movie, but. Flying in space, that's why I think the body modifications are necessary. You know, you see a little gray alien, and again, maybe that is the complexity of the cellular makeup of something mm -hmm. that can withstand the radiations and energies. Maybe. That cellular construction. What makes me always wonder about humans is our bipedal design doesn't seem to be natural to Earth's gravitational force because all the other species on this planet are four-legged <clears throat> and don't have all the back issues and kind of crap that we have. They're better designed for this planet. You know, so so I wonder, like, like, like even like our anatomy, it doesn't make sense. I, I, don't, I don't know if we could. Do you think that we naturally evolved here? Do we think what? Do you think humans naturally evolved on this planet? No. I mean, one of the things that I think we should write about more is I was fascinated about this subject when I was younger because it came up even in early shows in the 90s about, hey, we have like so many thousand, like about 15,000 years ago, there seems to be some genetic cuts in the human race that don't make sense. And it's like, uh, what? 
And then they're like, isn't that interesting? It's always a mystery. It's always fascinating. And then everybody drops it. Right. And then again, uh, standard academia, which is very conservative in their views. Um, conservatives is just, I'm feeling polite today. Uh, again, we have 50 something, 60,000 years ago. Mind you, this is pre-info that just got released about two new species of, of humans. Yeah. And not lineal, simultaneous, again. It's weird. Um, but we have Denisovan, Neanderthal, a mystery 14% of us are another whole human, an anatomically correct human, not a Denisovan or Neanderthal, but another human that we have no eyes on. And all of us started mixing according to standard academia, 55, 60,000 plus years ago. Now that's the on the record point without a complete paleoanthropological record. So what if we're really talking about post doom and gloom, Mount Toba blowing up? So what if we're really talking about the survivors on the planet? And again, Denise Yvonne and Neanderthal are always, despite usually being described as having a larger volume brain, and denser bones and stronger muscles and slightly bigger and you know they always make it look like they were idiots yet you know and, and we'll assume that it was polite breeding going on uh by agreement that all these species are on the planet and they're sur they're surviving something and and there's some genetic evidence again the problem is we have, we have very primitive snapshots of genetics so i can say this right now for everyone listening that we there's a story that says the total, in quotes, breeding pairs of humans was reduced to two to six thousand or six to twenty six thousand pairs. Uh, the math or science somehow equates it to that range of possibilities that the entire total breeding population was reduced. Around seventy four, seventy three to seventy six thousand years ago, based on Mount Toba exploding and creating a nuclear winter and assorted other disasters. But. It means then uh, a bunch of survivors got together and did their thing. But we have rock cut. Again, here's another layer. We have laser cut. And I don't mean we know that they were lasers. I mean very precision cut. Rock cut ruins underground all over the planet. Just like Richard said in our interview the other day, Dr. Richard uh, was talking about, you know, how many different places you can go between Europe and Turkey and Russia and uh, all over the northern plains of Africa and under Egypt and, you know, from Aswan Quarry to, I mean, not even specifically from the quarry, but you basically travel anywhere in what was known as the Egyptian Empire underground. And all of it is extremely more advanced. Quite a bit of it is very advanced constructions. And what kind of people have planned for multiple natural and or weaponized disasters over tens of thousands of years. And that's the thing that gets me is that a society that is aware of its own, uh, not only personal downfalls, but of intergalactic uh, ramifications, like no matter where they were with frequency and frequency and energy, it appears that they also were not, or they were in agreement that they couldn't track every asteroid or meteor. Maybe, maybe that was it. They really couldn't do it. And, or there would just be some sort of horrifying scalar weapon where 
you know, if everybody got mad at each other, it, it could go really bad or delivered from uh, space. And that would be a very uh, terrifying situation to think that we could reach a technical and mental uh, level that still required or, or had uh, that kind of uh, a destructive capability. But, you know, we don't have the answer on it, but we do have these indicators and genes that says that there is a much more complex story to the technology that we see in the ground. And that technology, again, is still, again, we have the Paracas, these elongated skulled, super cranial volumed humans that nobody will touch with a 10 foot pole that's in alleged Ivy League schools. So don't care what you got, you know, uh, the idea of academic hubris or attacking the uh, messenger or the straw man arguments, they're just useless to me. It's just, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Harvard, Yale, Oxford, fill in the blank, bio, you know, anthropologist slash paleontologist, uh, do the damn testing. And this is bottom line. Uh, take it seriously. Pull the red-headed uh, skulls and start doing the, and, and again, checkmate here, nuclear sedimentary DNA testing, which has been around for a decade, that's now developed far enough that it's being used for studying. Um, I hate that they're kind of using it to, they're, they're dipping their toes in the facts and saying, oh, it looks like Denise events were in the South Pacific. I mean, that's an article from just a couple months ago. And that was just published from some scientific papers where they're like, look, it looks like Denise event. We thought they couldn't even do anything except, well, you know, we, we drew them out really stupid and they weren't very smart, but apparently they knew how to sail and they were in the South Pacific. Oops, that doesn't go with the narrative. And the tale we've told ourselves on evolution is based on morphology. So getting really, really good at looking at bones and saying, well, this bone is a human bone and this bone is a monkey bone. There's no, there wasn't a nuclear DNA testing to say Lucy is a human or Australopithecus is a human. We, we don't, we haven't actually done the nuclear DNA testing. They, they were doing it, you know, that all our entire model is based on theories and it's based on, um, taking facts and plugging them into those theories. I'm, I'm sure they've done this testing. They just haven't revealed the results. Right, right. Well, there, yeah, there, yeah, there's no way that you have not done it. Yeah, yeah, that's the other, that's the real point. Uh, you're talking about, um, you're definitely talking about, uh, uh, that's the facts. It's There's uh, private military, well, private corporate, which, by the way, includes, I think, university studies. And I, and I do think, I don't know which ones. I'm not throwing it out there to be mean. I'm not making any presumptions. But I do think um, the only places you can look to that have the testing equipment to end up in um, either military or, or secret programs are certain university systems. You know, it really does kind of go back to the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we're looking for the one expert, and we have top men working on it. And, you know, they find something that, nobody can work on but they again there you go one branch that in one generation takes something like the ark of the covenant and throws it in a box in a warehouse and how long does it sit there before the even the clandestine organization is disbanded or the people die that had the clearance to know about it and the technology that the uh, storage unit was used in is uh, lost on microfiche 
and then the existence of the object is back into obscurity and 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 there's no uh, progress I think that there is the same situation with this technology now where ancient technology is being found it's being re-engineered uh, like you said publicly uh, maybe the there's a level of government that says look we just found six more elongated skulls uh, at the Egyptian pyramids well they can't be here so you know the government comes in and cleans it up but it's not to do any testing it doesn't I can't fathom that there isn't higher level organizations continuing to do the actual work but I think the greatest cover-up conspiracy we got going right now is uh, the narrative that keeps getting pushed on all of us about uh, yeah you know we all used to be monkeys uh, we're the most advanced we've ever been and uh, you know just just keep just keep swimming right and like like Richard said you know we're not the smartest species on the planet you know everybody keeps going you know we're only 10 to 50 percent conscious and it's like does it ever occur to you that we were more conscious that we were using more of our brain that it's not a natural evolution or a de-evolution it's just it's safe mode we're a very advanced I mean they talk about why why have all the urges for you know superhuman abilities uh, the idea of the Greek gods the idea of having more power as an individual the idea of superhumans marble comics um, I think our genetic memories uh, you know the little girl or little girl um, you have story and story after story tragic stories of uh, very small women lifting whole vehicles off their kids you know to or to get them out of a trapped car or you know people in in not just in emergency situations doing incredibly superhuman things but again people like Wim Hof and Steak Severinsen and you know reactivating conscious control of your immune system and your inflammatory response and your ability to control your nervous system and is that really uh, not only is it not autonomic but and, and it's been proved over and over to be something that's controllable which is not what medical textbooks teach you're not supposed to be able to control your autonomic nervous system and yet it's been proven over and over and, and how far has the east and the west you know between western and eastern sciences which is really easier as westerners right away we can conjure up uh the emperor in china and and mysterious uh herbal and chinese medicine uh in, in acupuncture we can we can very easily come up with uh, examples of uh, Dragon Ball Z and you know Enter the Dragon and Bruce Lee before we really understand before we accept that there was a time where it was all one science it was one global system and these are broken down pieces of technology mm -hmm. that were remembered I think by scattered survivors but I think this entire system when you start painting a full system together uh, a a picture that shows all of it functioning together it's not east and west it's not one country or one it really is we are one um, species that did not evolve into separate races as an accident it, it it's a um, I think we are one human species that had individual specializations that could be changed hmm. as needed I mean that's just, that's just one aspect of it though I mean we could we could go endlessly at this and uh, break it down 
one thing at a time, but as it relates to a disclosure, I think it's important for people to look at a disclosure in the future and grab someone you know that might read legislation, look at what they really have to disclose, because I think what they do or don't disclose based on what they have to expose is a big deal. We know that the U.S. military has said, yeah, there's UFOs and, you know, yeah, there's UFOs. You, you should know about right. it. Well, are, are, okay. are, they, are they disclosing? I mean, really, if you think about it, from your angle especially, are they disclosing UFOs or would they be disclosing the true origin of human history? That's a really good point. Yeah. That's, and, and maybe the deflection all along is to not reveal the true history because it involves some of these solutions. I mean, isn't it odd? I mean, of all the things that every scientist can be working on, I always, I know that uh, inventions and ingenuity overlap, but you would think science would treat uh, humanity like paramedics treat an accident scene. When you get to an accident scene, there could be internal bleeding. So you might see someone's bone sticking out of their leg or their skin cut open, but, you know, is there internal bleeding? Is there a massive brain hemorrhage happening? Are they able to breathe? I mean, there's an order of things to look at that might be really graphic for people to listen to, but you don't just go for the obvious wound. You have to assess for um, the internal damages and the things that are unseen within a, the structure of an accident to determine the course of treatment. And I feel like that should be done for uh, hu humans. It, it sounds, it's hilarious listening to people debate, should we live forever? Who wants their family member or loved one to die of cancer? Literally no one. Uh, there's a whole system of cancer treatment out there, but over and over, like Dr. Anthony Holland, you know, he's killed uh, leukemia, pancreatic cancer, a, a number of other cancers, MRSA, a number of bacteria, by numbers, I mean dozens of bacteria and viruses he's destroyed with um, vibrational, uh, just sound energy mm -hmm. and left other cells intact. And why wouldn't we treat our academic world like we treat a paramedic scene where what's the first thing we want to eliminate? Well, you know, disease misery. Uh, why are we worried about inventing a softer uh, shirt or like we can, you can name off of like, why do we need another lawnmower? You know, we have lawnmowers. Why don't we, why don't we engineer grass to only grow like four inches? You know, how about that? <laughs> I you hate know. cutting the grass, man. See, big, big, big lawnmower is keeping grass growing long <laughs> to grow even longer. Wasting water and your time, big lawnmower. Uh, uh, so that's that's an example where I think that if we were to sit down and storyboard and say, "Look, we who does who does want to die? Uh, who doesn't want to reactivate these other superhuman abilities that are clearly once within our consciousness? Uh, who else is having uh, second sight?" paranormal or uh experiences that say hey i have uh, i have a memory of this that or the other well what if that is a memory of a technology and or of an of, of an ability that would be helpful in building 
seismic metamaterials and stronger structures and uh, uh, you know there's a there's a million different things we could be doing uh, but small conveniences are they really a priority over uh, ending death ending disease um, in not it's not a matter of living for no reason so you could just watch sports for the rest of your life but it's always said you know we know more about space than under the ocean well that's that's an odd thing isn't it because a lot of our history is underwater. So if we prioritize our research, because in our past, I think there's advanced remnants that matter and are shown. I mean, there even uh, there's even a branch of science now, archaeogenetics. They're, they're calling it archaeogenetics, just like archaeoacoustics and archaeoastronomy. And it's all about looking at our past and what we can do with it in our future. And I do think it would be it would behoove us to prioritize the brightest minds on earth i mean everybody should have a focus but i do think if we were going to draft people or require military service or in a sense i i think that one could argue that there could be a drafting of the most brilliant minds to resolve once and for all some of these issues and it's not what's done instead we have cooler toys for christmas and yeah, or or it has been done. A what? Or it has been done, and they're just not telling us. You, you know, there's a look who gets to ride the dark pony of the apocalypse. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> just clop it along, and it's like you know what? They already did solve it. They want us to die. Why wouldn't they? Maybe, maybe that's what charges their battery. Yeah, maybe, I mean, and, and maybe maybe, maybe uh, human death charges the battery for. Um, <laughs> For Morty. <laughs> uh, Morty, Morty, everybody must die, Morty. Um, <laughs> if, if, I, if you figure out the immortality, their flying saucer stops. <laughs> they're like, well, you know, we need a few more. We need to purge a few more. Um, that that's, that's more and more sadly realistic, right? <laughs> Could be. Um, I, I have no idea what's really going on. The only thing I'm sure about is that I don't know, but I think somebody else out there does know. I think if we keep dialoguing on it and if we keep, you know, not just this content, but producing, you know, keep doing, keep digging deep on these interviews, we're doing something that people used to not do. It, it, you know, if you were really brilliant, like whether, whether you just have great ideas or you are in a lab, like, you know, uh, Dr. Richard Miller, if you're in a lab, mm -hmm. you may publish a paper or you may publish a book through uh, the press of your college, but maybe nobody hears of you or your research the rest of your life. And now people are consuming research as entertainment, and I think that's very optimistic for all of us getting to know more, which I think triggers genetic memories, which triggers things in collective human consciousness. And I do think for those that are up for the old school control of the planet the way it's been running for the last few hundred years it's not good for them but i see it uh being a um, uh, a benefit to us all when that system fails because i really don't think not the bright i don't think that the, the most powerful power structure is working outside of they're saying uh, the same. I think they're using the same ten to fifteen percent consciousness we are. Mm -hmm. It makes 
them uber dangerous because if you're living a level of uh, life of uh, not just financial success, but of power success, I think it really does cloud judgment. You, you, you ultimately cannot make truly, uh, I think, intelligent, transcendental uh, Oh, yeah. It just, it just creates sociopathic, psychopathic monsters. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do think it's not, for the most part, um, it, again, it, it turns into, it twists itself into a, a belief system, a system that doesn't uh, involve um, sharing or cooperation or science. Uh, anytime you move away from um, science and you're moving into just a, you know, this is what we believe and we're going to operate on that without you know, being cognitive of the actual mechanics of what you're saying, uh, just because you want to believe it doesn't make it true. And uh, they're creating a system that may keep them in power, but it's it's very limited. When we, I mean, here's the deal. We have an endless, an infinite amount of, of universe. Even if we don't count the multiverses, if we just count our universe, just the solar system, there is so much to accomplish right down to the bottom of our oceans that there's no loss. There will be, I'm, I keep trying to re, I'm trying to reassure the gray state. There will be no loss of power in the sense that there will always be massive amounts of humans to control. But instead of worrying about that, I think we should let the collective human ram back to the matrix. The collective human ram should increase because I do think the human population was bigger than it is now. Uh, when we had our global super energy society, I think it was bigger than 8 billion. I do think that the collective ram available by living human entities is helping broaden and wake us up. Even if you don't value that, you know, tribal human being in the desert, I do think that the total collective human ram is causing us to reactivate our cognitive um, total situational awareness to our conscious unconscious and to creep us back into that 20% and maybe an acceleration of 30 or 40% consciousness, which leads to triggering, I think, what we now call superhuman abilities by uh, triggering those abilities again. And that that it's a slow go process, but there's something bigger than the human population, and that's information. Not that you want to hoard it and not share it or profit from it. The mechanics of how people profit now in places of power, they get the, they get it, and it makes them safe and secure. They don't think the system has to change, but I think the volume of information that will be collected if the system was put back in order. The volume of, of information ultimately has a natural power structure to it that I don't think, you know, maybe we could touch on it in a whole episode and what it would look like. But I think that that power structure requires leaders um, over that flow. And, and I don't mean control and muting, but I mean the volume of information be, that will be collected from marine archaeology to archaeogenetics to space exploration and uh, setting up of colonies and then eventually cities and eventually planetary expansions, even if we've already done it in the past, and then ultimately 
solar and interplanetary archaeology uh, may lead to some crazy places. And I would rather go for that multi-planetary human world than I think what's going on now, which has been a uh, muting and slowing of our development by unseen, not completely intelligent sources. I agree. <laughs> I completely who could possibly disagree with that? <laughs> you what? Nobody could disagree with that. Yeah, I I would like to know the argument if there was one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think only the people that are doing the muting <laughs> would argue it. <laughs> yeah, that's, they're like, I ain't giving up power. Our family's been in power for 280 years. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a... Uh, I, I don't know where we should go. Uh, what else you got on your mind? Bed. Yeah, right? I guess um, <laughs> for those listening, if you're listening at 2 in the afternoon, you don't need to go to bed. But, <laughs> um, I'm still, of course, you know, Gary and I are co-hosting. I'm still on notaliens.com. I still have a Rockfin channel at Not Aliens. I'm continuing by the time you hear this uh, to post the audio book. Certainly become a member on Not Aliens, but uh, there is also my my first book is being revised right now, and I, I hope it'll be uh, out and available for people in print uh, before Christmas. And the, in the meantime, I guess we just have to book our next show and interview somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your website again? NotAliens.com. All right. I will put that in the notes to this episode so my listeners can go to it oh. when they're listening. Yeah, we could we could actually embed that on the main page. So, yeah, we, sh we should be doing that. I always I, do. I, I pulled one and put it on, but we should definitely embed that on the main page. All right. Well, thanks, Jared, for staying up late with me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, everyone, for listening and Till next time. Till next working. time. <laughs> now I'll play my famous outro. I love it. Which is going to be going away soon, by the way. You got a new one? I'm working on it. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.